I'm Trace. Hi. I'm Migs. Hi, Trace. Hi. <coughs> Welcome to Oh Brother, Not Another Podcast. We are an official Apple podcast with me, Migs Burroughs. And I'm Trace Burroughs. And today we have on the show David Strathairn. You have to tell me if I pronounce your last name right. Who's been in so many fabulous movies, uh, television shows, uh, like uh, now and he's in Nightmare Alley, which was a great movie we both saw. Sopranos, Silkwood, uh, Good Night and Good Luck, and so many other things. Born movies, my favorite, the Born movies. Yes. So did I pronounce your last name properly? Strathairn? Yeah, my family pronounces it like five different ways. Uh, so <laughs> you're, you're right. I had to go on Google and, and they, get, they made a recording of your name and get them playing it. Well, I, always, I always look forward to uh, an eccentric pronunciation. You know. <laughs> what, what's, what's, what's the weirdest one you've ever heard? Uh, straight Harrian. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Our father loved herring. But, um, so do I. Yeah. So um, let's, I guess, start off with uh, what's happening right now. And then we'll get into other things like the, the movie Nightmare Alley, which just came out at the theaters and then on HBO Max. And we both saw it just recently and I loved it. And yeah. You are Pete Crum Crumbine. Is that who you pronounce it? Yeah, I think so. Crumbine, Crumbine. Yeah. Crumbine, maybe. I, I always wonder how they do things in movies and so did they actually build an entire carnival out in the Midwest someplace, like as a set? They did. It was in uh, Markham, Canada, uh, on Ontario, oh. inside of Toronto. Uh, it was probably the size of a football field and uh, the real deal. You walked on that set, you figured you were visiting a real carny. It was inc incredible. Yeah. One the thing I liked about what, and that also, uh, uh, Galarno del Toro's movies, at least Shape of Water, and I've seen the one, the pen, the one before that, which is really dark. But is it like uh, he really gets a feeling that's different than all other movies? And this one really, you could feel the grittiness and the time period with everything, you know, the whole deal, the sets, the costumes, and everything really gave you the feel of the sort of uh, creep, creepiness of that whole, or, you know. Carnival business. Yeah, I really agree. He has, he's a master in, in creating a world that uh, is, it's both fantastical, but then at the same time, you get in and the, the nuts and bolts are, are real. I mean, he is, mm. you know, The Shape of Water was a beautiful film, you know, kind of was like a science fiction film, but it was so palpable that you actually thought, yeah, this, this exists. And, and with Nightmare Alley, it, it does exist. That kind of stuff is, you know, he was, he was pulling from a grand tradition of, of circuses and carnies and, and you know, um, confidence games and shows like that um, from, from the past. And uh, I, I think he just nailed it, Aces. It was just it's so beautiful. Yeah. Just cinematography is, you know, over the top and then uh, and the lighting you know the lighting the colors everything <clears throat> and it's you know it's a fantastical scenario but it's also so human um that that's what i think his gift is right yeah and your character is really like sort of the, from my 
take on it. It was the moral center of of the the story and the character. I mean, you to me, yeah, you 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 had the eth- you still you had the ethics and the and the morality. Well, you were still a con man. I mean, you're a con man, but there was a morality to what you did and stuff, right? Yeah, I think Pete was sort of at the end of the road there, um, realizing that his his time was sort of up. And, you know, for whatever reason, I mean, he was obviously a drinker, was compromising his skills and stuff. But I, I, I think Guillermo <clears throat> included that character in there as sort of a, a potential uh, uh, fork in the road for, for uh, mm. um, Bradley's character. He could either take the advice or take the warning mm. or not. And, uh, and Pete was, yeah, he's kind of sympathetic, but he was also a guy who he'd seen it all. And, um, and he had sort of generously thought, okay, I'm going to give this young whippersnapper uh, yeah. uh, maybe a little advice or something. And, and I think that was a, a real pivot in the film, uh, the, the choice that uh, uh, Stanton makes. Yeah. Was there, Go ahead. Was there, any, was there anything in that book? Did, does the prop department create a, a real, you know, uh, document in that book, that little booklet? They did. It was it packed. Was it? And it was textured, so it looked like it was, you know, 50 years old. And they'd actually had, you turn every page had a sort of a, a, a numbers game or a, a hand gesture or notes or anything. It's amazing. Very beautiful. Yeah. What is, uh, it's kind of a cliche question, but I'm going to ask it <laughs> So what is your process? I know you went to the actor's studio, right? Is, do you, uh, no, I didn't. Oh, you didn't? Oh, because uh, someone said that to me. Um, I, I sat, sat in a couple of times because oh. I had some friends who were No, oh. I didn't really. But it, what is your process do you, to get into, let's say, this role or all your roles that you've done? Uh, it's sort of on-the-job training, really. Um, uh, you find out what the story is, and then I try to call as much information about the time period or uh, if it's a modern day thing, try to find out as much of, of what the, the director's vision is, um, try to, just to figure out what my piece of the puzzle, uh, they want the piece to, how I want, they want to contour that character and how it fits. Um, and that, that's sort of my departure point. Um, and then all the other accoutrements that come with like, uh, you know, is there an accent or, uh, you know, the basic job that the person has, you know, I try to at least get familiar with, you know, the, the essences of those things. And, but mostly taking the cues from the director and from the, and the designers too. They're the ones who puts a lot of time into designing the whole productions and they can give you a, a leg up as to uh, who and, and what you are. Did you practice any of the cons on, on friends or family before you did it, just to get a feel of it? We had a, we had a great advisor, um, and I, he taught me a lot of card games and a couple of moves and things like that. But as it turned out, I the only one that we did was that little cigarette. Disappearing that, um, cigarette, yeah. <clears throat> but... Um, it was fun to learn that stuff. It's uh, mm. not that I actually learned it. Um, all the stuff that he does in terms of the uh, mentalist uh, techniques, 
um, those have been laid down throughout time. So, and Guillermo said, well, here's a lot of, here's a couple of links to that. Yeah, the director sit down with you or just general with the, all the actors in a room and give a sort of a speech about the feel of what he wants out of everyone? Or does he sit down one by one, actor by actor, talk to you on the phone or meet with you and, and give you sort of a, a little spiel about what he wants? Yeah, he, uh, <clears throat> he did. I sat with uh, Tony Collette. I had a meeting with um, the three of us sat down and talked about the relationship. Uh, between uh, Pete and <clears throat> and Zena, and then uh, Guillermo was so generous with his vision. He just showed us pictures and drawings and uh, the uh, costume renderings, and um, and then talked about his vision of the of the of the story, how he was going to take a not necessarily yes adapted from the, the early Tyrone Power Joan Blondell one, but uh, how he was going to. Um, reinvent it and you know so that was so much grist for the mill mm. just because of his generosity with that do you have to do you i've you know i've heard interviews with actors and actresses that that some i don't know if that's method or what you know they actually write their own backstory the director doesn't have any input i mean doesn't ask them to but they need to know you know where they were born and when they rode a bicycle first learned to ride a bike <laughs> and, and where they got you know they got their tooth chipped in grade school. I mean, do you go, do you do, you do any of that? Well, that's kind of fun to play around with. And in this case, uh, Guillermo did do that. He wrote the bios for everybody. Oh. Uh, a lot of it was unplayable and uh, right. it couldn't possibly be, you know, included in the, in the, in the script, but it did give you an idea uh, of yeah, you know, from whence this person comes, and and it was it was fantastic. It was like this little short story about this guy. Um, mm. Yeah, he was. Uh, and that, I I really appreciate that, you know, because then you you know what your task is, and instead of having to make it up all your own, and then the director saying, "No, nah, I'm not sure." That, uh, <laughs> that right. he didn't have buck teeth, and. Uh, you know, you, <laughs> Right in your nose, you know, it's like this. <laughs> On the different roles that you've played, is there anyone that you feel like is really close to your own personality? Oh, gosh. I guess there are all pieces of it somewhere in there. Yeah. You know, every character is a little piece of you. I'm the, curious. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, uh, good night and good luck. Edward R. Morrow story. <laughs> um, the cat, it just seems like you're like the perfect person for that role. Amazing. Uh, I, would, I don't know who else I would choose out of uh, anyone else. It just seems that like you really fit fit that for some reason. And I'm not sure what, what that is. Maybe just your acting, you know, you just portray the seriousness of Edward R. Murrow. I remember seeing him. The gravitas, a, yeah. And, um, uh, and his prediction for um, the media, the way he saw it happening, and you're talking like, what, 60, 70 years ago that he thought of this, and now it's all happening with how we're just not getting, and it's confusing people, unfortunately, people, and especially people who don't know, realize this, what they're seeing is partially entertainment, and the anchor people come on as like serious news, and there's all, the priorities are all over the place. Yeah. Was that I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, that was one of the most cherished um, uh, roles to do that. I, I think I probably got it because uh, I may have 
been able to look a little bit like him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes you're, you're lucky that that happens. Um, <clears throat> but um, yeah, that investigation, uh, uh, or exploration of, of what broadcast news was, journalism was, back then compared to what it is now is and it's an an amazing insight i think i mean you could talk about it for hours and i'm sure a lot of people in broadcast journalism wrestle with all the um the evolution um and the what's happened to it you know it has become entertainment it has become sort of the provenance of advertisement and uh, back then you know edward r murrow was talking to the amount of people he was talking to was a, literally a drop in the ocean of what it is like today um, with, in social media and all these outlets. And uh, he, he's, he's still sort of considered, I, I, I guess, a, a standard bearer in, in the ethics of broadcast yeah. journalism. Um, and I'm sure he's studied, I hope he's still studied in schools, but it, it, all and George Clooney made this film really as a gift to his father, who was an anchor man on a radio station oh, sorry, in Kentucky. Um, in Kentucky, and, and um, you know, learning about that world and meeting a couple of people who were had were still alive from that time. <laughs> they were looking at at the now today like a hallucination, like science fiction as actual happened. Yeah, you know. Well, they were, I mean, the word trust isn't even used. I mean, he, he and Cronkite, I mean, they, we, we watched, grew up watching Edward. I'm, I think I'm older than you, but, we, we, you know, you are there and the newscasts and all those things he did. Um, I mean, the only, did you, you weren't a smoker. You, you, what, what do they use? What do they fake? Um, nutmeg or what do they put well, in those? I, I knew I was going to have to smoke because uh, as I learned, even uh, Murrow's son, Casey Murrow, told me that he never saw his dad without a cigarette. Oh, gee. never saw his dad without oh. a cigarette. <laughs> so I figured, okay. <laughs> so I said, well, I, I tried them all. <laughs> you know, everything, Paul Malls to Carlton's, and uh, it was all unpleasant. Oh, of course. And then. And a friend of mine, and then they wanted to use these herbal cigarettes, and I, those those kind of stink the place out anyway. And a friend of mine said, "Why don't you try pipe tobacco, hmm. light pipe tobacco? It doesn't have the additives hmm. that are regular tobacco that keeps it burning. It'll go out like you know a pipe goes out, and you have to light it again." And I said, "Well, yeah, but they get cigarettes with pipe tobacco." And he says, "Just make them." <laughs> Did you make your own? Well, all your own? <laughs> I went to the prop guy and I said, and I tried it and it was actually great. It smelled better. Mm. The cinematographer loved it because um, the, the smoke was thicker, caught the light a little better. Mm. And uh, so I went to the props guy and said, uh, can, can you make us some cigarettes? He says, okay, we've got a six week shoot. We've got uh, five days a week. We've got about 10 hours a day and you're going to be smoking every one of those hours. Oh my God. Uh, and the guy, like a, just a, the greatest guy, he said at the studio where we were shooting, he dedicated a room just to making cigarettes. <laughs> That's yeah, right. 
he had vats of tobacco, pipe tobacco, and was making cigarettes for everybody. Yeah. And he'd come around in the morning and give us our fresh pack of cigarettes. You know? Oh, man. And did you inhale? You can't really inhale too deep. Well, otherwise it looks fake. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. It's fantastic. You know, I mean, it's it's amazing. The, the or George Clooney, I mean, you know, he, I guess, is it compared to other directors, not to diminish anybody else, but he's an actor, so he understands the craft and the art. And, and did you find that, you know, easier to, to work with or, or more, you know, yeah, sympathetic? That's a great point because yes, he, he knew what it was like to work a day and, and uh, you know, the general energy levels of everybody, not only the actors, but the crew and, and mm. um, everyone. And he set it up so that actually worked a reasonable eight, maybe nine hours a day, boom, boom, cut it that. He came in under budget and uh, under time. And uh, the last day was a Friday, I believe, and we ended at three o'clock in the afternoon. That was it. So it was a beautifully, um, he helmed that with his friend, mm. uh, co-writer and director Grant Heskell, did like a master. It was just beautiful, totally considerate of everybody. And he wanted everybody to have fun. Mm-hmm. We, totally he's a notorious prankster does he do does he do that to loosen up the cast did you ever find like i don't know i, I don't even want to guess like put pink cigarettes in your cigarette box or something like that yeah he is notorious he's famous for that but he, he did take the day pretty seriously yeah yeah so, so you you were also in uh, lincoln directed by steven spielberg so how would, um, what's the difference, you know, what kind of like, what's how Spielberg different than like the other directors you work with? Is there any difference or is it just, you know, the usual? Um, the greatest directors I find are, their preparation is what is the mm. amazing. And, and as with Good Night and Good Luck, uh, and as with Lincoln, I'm probably with all of um, Spielberg productions, that you enter into the world, much like Guillermo del Toro's world, you know, ready to go. Boom, you hit the tarmac running. And um, the, uh, the design team and the uh, tech crew and everything were just there on the ready for whatever needed to be done. Um, and Spielberg, I think, as, and I'm sure George did and all sort of the great directors, uh, uh, have the day uh, in their mind. They sort of have the chessboard and they know where the pieces are going to go, but they're open to, mm -hmm. you know, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to castle here and I'm going to move my pawn here and, and say, okay, well, we can make that work. So they're, um, uh, in, in that way, they're very generous to, to the actor's uh, um, contribution. But you do feel like they are, at the helm, and that's what you you want. Yeah, you're you're um, friends with John Sales. Um, this is uh, a producer told us this, and um, uh, so what? How did that? How did you become friends with him? And t what movies you were in? Some of his movies, I, I don't know which ones, so, but talk about that a little bit. 
Well, I, I met John at, uh, at Williams College, um, but it wasn't until years later that uh, he, um, he came up to a summer theater in North Conway, New Hampshire, um, and uh, spent a couple years there, a couple summers there, um, acting, directing. And he wrote The Return of the Secaucus 7 using the summer theater uh, company. Um, and after the summer uh, theater was over in the fall, we shot the movie Return of Secaucus 7. And that's kind of how the snowball got, uh, got rolling. Um, and he, he liked to use people that he had worked with before. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was kind of a real blessing, real gift to be able to cut my teeth. Um, with him as a filmmaker and making all these independent films, that, that was really on-the-job training, you know. Um, from there to Mate Juan, I think one of the great American films um, about the coal mine, Coal Wars in yeah. 1919, and the Black Sox scandal, which I think is one of the best sports films um, in, in terms of uh, the, the political landscape of uh, baseball back then, 1919. Um, yeah, it's been a real privilege to work with him so many times. You're involved in, there's a website, theaterofwar.com. And uh, this, as I understood it, I visited the website and, you know, you, you a bunch of wonderful actors get together and, and perform. As, is it a fundraising uh, vehicle or is it just, a, you know, a cultural uh, vehicle for, for vets or how does, what is the workings of that it's a um it is a uh, it's a social impact um uh company that that through uh the arts basically through theater and some some other media um presents these uh classic plays mostly it started as using greek drama um and it's it's since uh, evolved to using like O'Neill and uh, some 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 great plays that that deal specifically with pressing social issues like um, it, it started out as dealing with uh, combat related psychological trauma, um, and uh, then it uh, it's uh, grown into dealing with prison reform. Um, political torture, uh, domestic abuse, uh, substance abuse, um, end of life issues, uh, gun control, all of these things that we're wrestling with now. Um, it basically is four or five uh, actors, however many, sitting at a table reading excerpts from these plays, these great plays, which speak in, uh, in text to these issues. And then People who have more skin in the game than the actors do respond to the material from their guts. What's their first reaction about it? How does it relate to their experiences? And then it's opened up into sort of a town, uh, town meeting, a town hall meeting, a forum, um, where the audience is actually the ones who are, actually, are really telling the story. They're telling their own stories as related to these issues. And it's extraordinary what happens in the room. And now um, by sort of the gift of Zoom, it's ha happening internationally. Um, 
frontline. A lot of stuff has been done with uh, because of the, the stress and trauma and uh, you know that the, uh, the frontline care workers, healthcare workers, are being um, confronted with over the last year or so. We've done a number of things about how do you deal with that situation on a really day-to-day -day human basis. It's an extraordinary sort of invention or creation of Brian Doris's. And, it, um, and it's all about talking and healing and sharing mm -hmm. um, so that we have a, a way to, uh, you know, vent and unload and, and, and share. And, and, um, and it's, it's based on the, the uh, sort of the Greek um, uh, uh, methodology of what they did in the in the amphitheaters when these plays were put on for, you know, fifteen thousand citizen soldiers mm -hmm. dealing with the ravages of the Trojan Wars of the wars that they've been involved with, preparing the young soldiers and rehabilitating the the vets. Yeah, art, art of all kinds can be really healing. We, we're both visual artists, and you know, we get involved in you know. Uh, art lessons, whatever, for the vets and other other things. And, and can't help but notice you're in front of, is that a giant painting or is that, it's a beautiful abstract. Is that a painting or a wall covering or? Yeah, it is. It's uh, basically a painting. Oh, wow. Wow. That's amazing. That's great. Good backdrop too. Yeah. It's a beautiful <laughs> painting. Do you want to mention the artist if you know him or her? His name is Eric Karpelis. He's a, a writer as well. Oh. Um, okay. R P E L E S. Um, he's uh, written a lot of a couple of books um, about painting, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a beauty. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Um, so, well, before, we, well, we have one more thing, but I, 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 I'm a big fan, of course, of the Bourne movies, as many people are, because they were so successful and, and entertaining. And I, I you were um, Doctor uh, Assist Deputy Director Noah Vossen, Vossen, Vossen. Think you always somehow you get names that are very difficult to pronounce. <laughs> Characters, your own name. Um, right. Anyway, my favorite. Uh, I mean, there's the classic scene where Bourne tricks you to going to meet with him somewhere, and you're on the phone, and he's actually in your office rifling <laughs> your safe and everything, and you scream, "Code ten abort! Code ten abort!" <laughs> It's one of the great lines. Yeah. yeah if, if you were in your office, we'd be talking face to face. That's right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Do you have to? Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. You were going to ask. Oh, yeah. No, I just, in terms of, again, sort of process, I guess. Um, I mean, I, I went to Carnegie Mellon in the drama department, but I, I dropped out of acting very quickly for obvious reasons. But uh, it was all about being organic. You know, the word they used then was organic. You had to be organic. So you're, how does, how do you, what is the organic presentation of Deputy Director Noah Vossen? What does that involve? I mean, do you have to, the speech, there's a <laughs> pattern, you know, there's a certain clipped speech the uh, the approach is jump off the cliff and <laughs> hopefully someone will catch you when it comes to trying to actually be somebody who who uses a completely different vernacular in yeah. work um and uh uh yeah and uh the the 
the luckiest thing that happened was that they a lot of the people who were manning the stationing the the computers and everything throughout the uh, uh, the, uh, the room there um, were military people from uh, a base in England. Oh, they're real. And they knew all the terminology. So we'd go up to them and say, well, what do you say when <laughs> you have to get somebody to go over here and get this person? That's awesome. say, oh, Well, you say this and you just do that. No problem. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, thanks. And <laughs> a lot of what we had to do was to improv that stuff because oh, yeah. the way Paul Greenberg shot the movie was that he had three or four cameras going at the same time so that he could pick up anything and everything um, and edit it. And mm. so that's, I mean, to his credit, I think those films are an editor's um, extraordinary um, uh, yeah. example of brilliant because it keeps the momentum yep. so, so uh, present and yet you're getting every little detail. Yeah, It's really really a genius so approaching Noah Vosen was like okay I know my name and <laughs> I know where I have to and, and uh, okay um, what am I going to say tell me how do I say this and, <laughs> yeah but, you know you definitely obviously came across you know as this officious very you know dedicated uh, bureaucrat in the in the CIA or whatever and uh it worked really well. I think, Trace, I think we have a, yeah, go ahead. We're going to do the last thing. We wanted to forget yeah. one. Tell, my, tell us, David, if you're on board with this. Um, so, you know, uh, this actor studio show with uh, James Lipton, you'd ask these questions. This show doesn't exist anymore. Uh, we yeah. thought we thought you were in the act, had been in the actor studio. So we came up with this, but we're going to do it anyhow. So we had those 10 questions at the end of the show that he would ask people. Do you, it's kind of a goofy thing, but do you mind if we do that? Um, no, go ahead. I mean, uh, yeah. Okay, here, here it goes. It's, it looks silly now. But uh, anyhow, what, what's your favorite word? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Code 10. See? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, it's oh boy, you know things like this would take up a, a whole half hour of thinking about. <laughs> that's yeah. where that's where good editing comes in. <laughs> the most difficult part of the show. Okay, we can go on to the next one. We okay, what is your least favorite word? Oh boy, least favorite word. Well, I think you know not to sound too you know. Uh, I think hate is pretty mm. least. Yeah. Head? Hate. Hate. Oh, hate. hate. Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Oh, I mean, I can't go on with this. Yeah. This is so ridiculous. Well, there's two. Okay. Well, I, the, okay. the only three I remember, Chase had the whole list, is there's uh, your favorite swear word, and you can curse, you can say anything, your favorite curse word. If I mean, when you're, when you're mad, even by yourself, and you go, ah, and what do you say? No. Oh, um, yeah, it's more of a just a, a gibberish, like uh, you know exactly. That's the sound of disgust and humiliation and, mm. and kind of rage. But uh, I, I, I will steal something from somebody. Uh, 
which I think is a great curse word, but it's also a word that covers a lot more bases. That when you see something that is just outlandish and you you might want to say the F word, right. you know, the, just you look at the thing or the person and you just go, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That cuts right through it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it works. I like that. That's good. So, so you want to ask the last one? Maybe? Yeah, the, the last question that James Lipton always asked was, what would you like God to say when you enter the pearly gates? How would you like God to greet you when you enter the pearly gates? Um, uh, you, 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 you did your best, and... Uh, uh, here's take two. <laughs> we don't want to take two. We all want a second chance. That's great. I want ten takes. No. Yeah. That's a wrap. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's true. He said, yeah. And then after that, then after that, maybe it'll be a wrap. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is so. You did the best you could. That's all right. So we're going to say, we did the best we could. We hope this is, <laughs> we love the show. We love talking to you and very yeah. interesting, all the work that you've done. Just saw you on The Sopranos the other night, just when we were talking about having you on the show. And I go, yeah. there you are. I've seen it. I was watching the whole series again, streaming. Uh, and I miss some parts about it. And then I, then I saw your thing as the, as the I guess, head of the school. And your yeah. Amazing, great series. This is incredible series. I think I was about the only guy who who didn't get whacked after he got involved. Mm. Yeah, they like killing off favorite people or favorite. That's what I was thinking like when you're dating her in the movie. Yeah. That, aren't you afraid you're going to get like whacked for? Because <laughs> if Tony found out, he would like kick the shit out of you. I'm sure I was. <laughs> well, before we go, is there any last uh, things you'd like to 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 you know, let the audience know about anything well, upcoming. I just want to thank you guys for doing this. I think um, so. I was talking to Valerie Malkin about it. You know, there was one thing we 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 were talking about how um, these shows, what you guys do, is I think it's really important because it um, you know we sort of have to remember our histories, mm -hmm. and uh, you know. Sure, you get a lot of entertainment, a lot of insights to different kinds of, of you know, disciplines and walks of life. But, um, you know, if, uh, by giving uh, breath to, um, I guess I'm going to call myself an elder, um, that uh, there are, um, mm. I think, valuable, you know, uh, it's like we, we need to hear the, the stories. Um, I, I wish you'd had more time so we could talk about the circus in a little ways, but if you a little bit, but um, yeah, we'll do, go, you know, go ahead, right, Mix? Yeah, yeah, please. No, we'll, we'll either do it in two parts or just let it, yeah, please. We don't want to tie in with, I know you went to clown college. That's yeah. curious. Thing. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to tie it into Nightmare Alley. Yeah, please. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. What Guillermo depicts in Nightmare Alley is. Um, a far cry from what we think of as the circus today. Um, and and uh, that's why I think it was great to see that movie and then kind of look at the evolution of circus from the tent, you know, to uh, 
to the indoor arenas, to Cirque du Soleil, to those mm -hmm. kind of things. But the uh, I, I was really fortunate to have um, seven or eight months on the road with the, with the circus to uh, get a taste of what that uh, that, that life is, with that the tradition, the history of of a traveling shows with animals and performers, and um, uh, it was it was pr pretty special. And I, I think it's sort of been lost now. You know, I don't think there are that many, if any, circuses that uh, oh. that roam the country by train and set up a tent somewhere. Yeah, they shut down Barnum and Bailey because the elephant abuse, supposed alleged elephant abuse. I mean, you know, it's, yeah, I went there as a kid. I mean, that was the biggest thing you could possibly do on your birthday or any time was to go to Ringling Brothers. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you did you learn to juggle or have any special uh, talents that you can still uh, entertain well, uh, people with? Yeah, we, we learned to juggle. I mean, the clown college was it's kind of a you know you put it. Uh, it was seven weeks and compared to uh, like the the russian circus school which is like years um but yeah you we got to spend time with the retired um, performers and who basically taught us some of their skills <clears throat> juggling um uh, unicycle riding mm. uh, and uh, the most valuable one is to how to fall down and not hurt yourself <laughs> Yeah, well, let's. Lenny Madden made a movie with Death of a Clown, or what was it? Do you ever? It was really fascinating. Do you know which, David? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, yes. Years yeah. ago, yeah. it was like 50, 40 yeah. years ago. And it was all about the, the, the real clownism of Europe. And, and they had a train, they had a funeral for a clown at the end with a train, a clown train, I guess, going off into the distance. And mm. it was crazy Fellini stuff. I think that I don't know the Big Apple Circus. I know it went out of business, then it came back for a while, but I don't. I don't think it's around anymore. I saw the Big Apple Circus a few times. I think I saw York. their tent erected uh, last year. I was really charmed by that. I thought yeah, it was great. In there, it's yeah, a great it was, tradition. It was yeah, and the Big Apple Circus was small enough. It felt intimate. It wasn't as big as Madison Square Garden, where I used to, when I was a kid, we'd go to see the Ringling Brothers. That. Um, yeah. Wow. Did you ever play at the? We live in Westport, Connecticut. Did you ever play at the Country Playhouse here? The Westport. No, Country I haven't. No. Some really good friends who uh, have, have, have played there. Yeah. Unfortunately, not. Uh, what a great institution it is. It's been around for so long. It's great. Yeah, and uh, local resident Paul Newman helped save it. He and his wife yeah. years ago when it was really about to go out of go away. Yeah. Well, thank you. He's been super gracious to uh, give us your time. Oh, it's fun. Thanks, you guys. Keep doing. Keep on keeping on. So it's, it's a great thing. Thank you. Thank you. Much appreciated. Very much.